Well, we are in the midst of a series on chapters 40 to 55 of the book of Isaiah called Tidings of Comfort and Joy. And I, I guess I want to take a moment to just say thank you for indulging me and kind of letting me go to where I, uh, I want to go in these last weeks before my retirement, which is in this section of scripture, that this kind of swan song of mine as I'm anticipating leaving the pulpit and retiring is to just work with these texts that have been so important to me throughout my life and ministry. And what's interesting about this particular text is that the first sermon that I ever preached from a pulpit in a church during an internship was this text that I am preaching today. And once we get into it, you'll get a little bit of insight into just how incredibly interesting my journey of faith was that I chose this text to have it be my first sermon. But maybe you won't notice that at all, but I do. Um, But um, it's a text about idolatry. And the Old Testament and New Testament both spend a lot of time talking about the danger of and the need to flee from this tendency we have as human beings to make idols, to turn something into God that is not God. Paul has a great definition of idolatry in Romans 1 where he says, for we have disregarded the truth of God and exchanged it for the lie, and we have, this is the lie, that we have worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And Isaiah in this passage really describes how human beings descend into this choice to make idols, to exchange the truth about God for the lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. And so let's look at this text, not the whole chapter, but just verses 6 through the end of verse 20 of Isaiah 44. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last. Besides me, there is no God. Who is like me? Let them proclaim it. Let them declare it and set it forth before me. Who has announced from of old the things to come? Let them tell us what is yet to be. Do not fear or be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? There is no rock. I know not one. All who make idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know, and they will be put to shame. Who would fashion a God or cast an image that can do no good? Look. All its devotees shall be put to shame. The artisans, too, are merely human. Let them all assemble. Let them stand up. They shall be terrified. They shall all be put to shame. The ironsmith fashions it and works it over the coals, shaping it with hammers and forging it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line, marks it out with a stylus, fashions it with planes, and marks it with a compass. He makes it into a human form with human beauty to be set up in a shrine. He cuts down cedars or chooses a holm tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it can be used as fuel. 
Part of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Then he makes a god and worships it, makes it a carved image and bows down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over this half he roasts meat and eats it and is satisfied. He also warms himself and says, ah, I'm warm, I can feel the fire. The rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, bows down to it and worships it, and he prays to it and says, save me, for you are my god. They do not know, nor do they comprehend, for their eyes are shut, so that they cannot see, and their minds as well, so that they cannot understand. No discernment, no one considers, nor is there any knowledge or discernment to say half of it I burned in the fire, I also baked bread on its coals, I roasted meat and have eaten. Now shall I make the rest of it into an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes, a deluded mind has led him astray, and he cannot save himself or say, is not this thing in my right hand? A fraud. Let's pray. Lord, bring us into that place of sight, of discernment, of understanding. Help us to identify those things that we have made into gods that are not God. Help us to worship and serve you and not the things that you have created or the things that we have made. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start with an image this morning. It's a recent New Yorker cover, and I'll ask Dad to put it up on the screen. I don't know whether you can see it. Um, let me describe it for those who are going to be listening to this uh, and won't be able to see the image. But it's a family at the table for Thanksgiving, and everyone seated at the table have cell phone in their hands. And if you kind of zoom in on what's on those phones, most of them have pictures of people around the table, pictures of the turkey. Uh, the elderly gentleman has a picture of the Empire State Building in the background. But they're all looking at their phones or pointing to what is on their phone. And the phone in each hand is basically the point of attention for everyone around the table. And it's really, more than anything else, I think, an accurate depiction of what has happened in our day. <laughs> that our phones have become, if you will, idols of sorts that determine how we relate to the world. And in some ways, it's almost as if an event doesn't take place unless we can take a picture of it and put it on Instagram. It's an example, I think, of exactly what Paul is saying in the way this family is completely dissociating from what's happening in the room. It's an example of worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator. Taking our eyes off of what is and creating something in a virtual world that has existence in some sort of ephemeral way. But it's about being controlled, ultimately, by what we have created. How many of us, like Pavlov's dogs salivated when they heard a bell, how many of us do the same thing with the text reminder on our phone? It gets our immediate attention. It calls us out of whatever it is that we're doing. 
I believe that if this continues, we'll evolve to have hands, left hands or primary or secondary hands that look like this uh, so that we can hold them up. I think we'll all be hunched over ultimately because we're watching something here rather than dealing with where we actually are. I think they're insidious. I don't think they connect us at all. I think they basically take us somewhere other than where we are more often than not. And it's true for all of us. But there are idolatries worse than this. And that's what the, the writer is discussing in our text for today. There are idolatries of worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator that lead to horrendous things that cause millions of people to die, like the Holocaust, in the great attempt for the final solution and worshiping Hitler's vision more than truth about human life. There are idolatries that are much worse than this, and my point is, is that it's easy for us to fall into idolatries, both the big ones and the little ones, like cell phones. And Isaiah 44 is a picture of how we fall into that. What the process is that we go through to get this point of serving the creature and then being controlled by what we create. That's what idolatry is. It's the irony of actually creating something for our good and thinking that we're in charge of it and yet it becomes the thing that's in charge of us. An example close to home for all of us really is that we created the stock market <laughs> We created the values that come out of it. And yet, what do we feel every single day when we check those figures? We feel controlled by the thing that we cannot control, even though we created it. That's what I'm talking about, and that's what Isaiah talks about. It's just the way of the world. We love to make idols, and then we end up being controlled by the things that we've made. If you look at this passage, it really describes something quite simple. It describes how these images that are made by workmen begin to control us. The author starts out with just a description of how these idols are made. And, and just to remind you, Israel had a prohibition against idolatry. And they didn't represent their God with any kind of image. But the conquerors who conquered them in different situations and in very different times of history all had gods that would be configured in idols. And so they began to be a bit jealous of the power of these people who had conquered them, thinking that it was their gods who had empowered them to do this. And so Isaiah comes forth and says, you know, this, that's just not true. And these gods are nothing more than, uh, at best, a work of art, at worst, a delusion, a shame-causing delusion. But look at what happens. Look at how we descend into idolatry. We understand our agency over creation at some level, and we nurture a tree. We plant a tree and nurture it. We cut down that tree, and we use it for fuel and to warm ourselves and to cook our food. And then as we're enjoying the feeling of satiety after eating our food and keeping warm by the fire, comes the turning point. Ah, I'm warm. I can feel the fire. In other words, look what I have done. 
And then comes the transition in the text where the, the writer says, he cuts it down the tree with half of it, he cooks his food and warms himself. And yet with the other half, he carves it into an image and bows down to it and says, save me for you are my God. That's the descent into idolatry. This whole sense of beginning to worship our agency and worship our power, worship our ability to have some effect on creation and then turn it into something that actually begins to control us. And there are really two questions in this text that kind of sharpen the point. The first one is right up front and it's God's question to us. Is there any God besides me? And then the last question is really a question to ourselves. Is not the thing in my right hand a fraud? It's a call to wake up. It's a call to ask these questions. How did we get to this point? How does a lie become the truth? Why do we settle for worshiping the creature? Why do we give up relating to the creator? As I've already mentioned, another word for being controlled by these things that we have created, another word for it is really addiction. It's bowing down to something. It's being imprisoned by something that we expect will make our lives better, that we expect to make us feel better or make things easier or decrease our pain or fulfill our desires or get rid of our enemies. But this thing that is supposed to free us, as with addiction, this thing that is supposed to free us actually becomes our captor. We bow down to it, and we pray to it a prayer that it can never answer, because it cannot save us, for it did not create us. We created it. And you know, if you look closely at the Ten Commandments, where this idea of idolatry features prominently, it's the second commandment, by the way, to not make a graven image of God. The Ten Commandments that God gave Moses, one of the things that you see that becomes pretty clear as you read all ten of them is that all of them are really about one thing, and that's faithfulness in our relationships. The first four, they're called the first table of the law. They're all about faithfulness in relationship with God. Faithfulness to the God who made us, the God who's been faithful to us in relationship. You'll have no other gods before me. You'll not make a graven image. You will worship and serve the Lord alone. You, you will not take the Lord's name in vain. And then finally, you will keep the Sabbath. You will set aside that time on which God rested and rest yourself to focus on how you are set in God's context and that you have not made God, but that God has made you. And then the second table of the law is all about our relationships with one another. It's about faithfulness in those relationships and not doing things to screw up those relationships. It's all about relationships. And the Ten Commandments are not demands that we submit to God's control. They're pointers to the right relationships for which we're made and, and to which we're called. 
They're pointers to faithfulness and to respect, to a response that mirrors the loving heart of the one who created us in the first place. And that's why idolatry is so soundly condemned. Because the gods that we create are not gods. They're a delusion. They do not relate to us. They only make demands on us. And we can never give them enough of what they want. But the God who made us just keeps inviting us to receive and to return the fruit of that relationship that he has initiated with us. And so we go to a passage in Isaiah 55 to close. That invitation comes forth in that passage when God says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread or your labor for that which does not satisfy? Hearken diligently to me and eat what is good. Incline your ear to me and I will satisfy you. I will have relationship with you. That's what God has made us for. That's where we find what it is we're looking for. And so the invitation is always rest in that. Let's pray. Lord, keep us in your care. Remind us again of this truth. Help us to let go of the things that we expect to change our lives but are actually just enslaving us. And help us to receive the freedom that you always offer and will never stop offering. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.